You are now tuned in to the AddictedToSuccess.com podcast, where geniuses, entrepreneurs, and next-level game-changers share their juicy little secrets on achieving massive success. This is the advice you wish you heard years ago. Be prepared and take note as we expose the realness and the raw of what it takes to be successful on AddictedToSuccess.com. Now, before we get into this interview, I have an exclusive opportunity for you that I'd love to bring to your attention. And that is I have just launched a six to 12 month mastermind called the Circle of Influence, where I'll be taking you under my wing to show you how to build a platform online that generates an income for you so you can have more freedom in your life. I'm also going to show you how to become a powerful influencer online so that you can score interviews and so you can get exposure on major publications and platforms. And I'm going to even show you how to build these platforms yourself, such as a website, podcast, a YouTube channel, and a social media following so that you can get your message out there to millions. I'm also going to show you how to network with other incredible leaders online so that you can interview them and so that you can collaborate with them and really show you how to refine your story so you can share it in an unforgettable way to score more interviews, to score book deals, and to gain more speaking opportunities so that you can become a powerhouse leader. Now, if this speaks to you, make sure you head over to IamJoelBrown.com slash apply and get in before I close my doors on this live interactive exclusive opportunity where I'm going to go deep with you and with the community of Circle of Influence Game Changers. Don't miss this. Now, let's get into this interview. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to the Addicted to Success podcast. I'm your host, Joel Brown, and I'm here today with Alan Stein Jr., who is a high-performance coach who has worked with the likes of Kevin Durant, and he, he actually had the opportunity to train with and work with Kevin Durant when he was 15 years old. So he saw him before the massive levels of success. He's also worked events with LeBron James, uh, Kobe Bryant, Chris Paul, and has spoken on many stages around the world, teaching people how to apply these high-performance strategies to their life. So uh, Alan's new book, Raise Your Game, has just come out. So let's dive deep into this with Alan Stein. I can't wait for you to hear the strategies that he has in place and just what it's like to work with world-class legends. Alan, thank you for joining us on the Addicted to Success podcast. Oh, the pleasure's all mine, Joel. Thank you so much, my friend. Yeah, I'm excited, man. I, I was a big NBA basketball fan when I was a kid. I remember the first time uh, that I was ever inspired to follow my dreams was when I watched Space Jam with Bugs Bunny and uh, Michael Jordan back in the day at uh, seven years old. And, you know, I, I remember getting Michael Jordan's biography book called Rare Air. And I remember reading about his mindset in there and how he'd wake up early in the morning and how he would train with some people that had strengths that he didn't have. Uh, and, and hearing about his routines and his daily habits. And that was really inspiring for me. So what inspired you to step into this arena working with basketball players and high-performance athletes? Well, I'll tell you what, Joel. I'm sitting here in my home office right outside of Washington, D.C., and, and I've got some memorabilia around my office, and I actually have a copy of Rare Air sitting right on a bookshelf within arm's distance of me. So, yeah, that, oh, was, no a, way. Yeah, that was a very <laughs> influential book as well, and, and certainly Michael Jordan, uh, not only the way he changed the game on a global level, but the way he changed culture, uh, but, but you just dug into some really great things there as far as what really separated him from everyone else were his mindsets 
and his habits and his routines and his disciplines and the consistency at which he did that. And, you know, I've, uh, basketball was my first identifiable passion. I fell in love with the game at five or six years old, and it's been a major staple in my life ever since. I mean, I'll turn 43, uh, you know, in January and, and here, you know, I'm still heavily involved in the game of basketball and it still had a major impact on my life. And, you know, as I got older as a player and then as I got into coaching, I was just so enamored with the performance side and, and what players and coaches would do to increase their chance of being successful. And you've already teed it up brilliantly. It always comes back to their habits, uh, their routines, their disciplines, their mindsets, and, and, and high performers know that it's not what you do occasionally that matters. It's what you do every single day. And that's one of the reasons, one of many, that somebody like Michael Jordan was as great as he was. I love that. I love how you broke that down there. And, uh, I, you know, I, I feel like when it comes to high performance uh, achievement, there are definitely some really key and core things that we should be focusing on. How do we really step into a higher level of, uh, of performance? Like what, what are some maybe some points or steps that you would introduce us to today uh, that we can start actioning and implementing in our life? Well, the very first one is you got to fall in love with the basics. You got to fall in love with the fundamentals. You, you can't get bored with them and you certainly can't try to, to skip over them uh, or resist them. That every high performer I've ever been around um, is incredibly confident in their ability and confident in their performance, but they also have the humility to understand that the basics and the fundamentals provide the foundation for everything else to which the house is built. And, you know, if we're talking about a basketball player, that means they continually work, you know, on their shooting mechanics and their footwork and, and the most basic of offensive moves. And, and they, they work towards mastery. They don't work to, to just kind of mail it in and to just go through the motions and then skip to the sexy stuff. They really appreciate that that's the foundation to which their whole game is built and, and, and understanding those basics, uh, but also realizing that just because something is basic, it doesn't mean that it's easy. Those aren't synonyms. And a lot of people use those words interchangeably and that's not correct. You know, what it takes to be successful in any area of our life is incredibly basic. But what it takes to be successful, as you know, is definitely not easy. You know, to be able to, to, to have the mindset and routines and habits required and do those things every day, even when you don't feel like it, even when it's not convenient, even when you don't want to, that's what separates high performers from everyone else. So I think, you know, mastering the basics and having the humility to acknowledge that they're not going to be easy to do consistently uh, is the very first step to a path of higher performance. I love this. I really love it. And it's so true. I think it's that unsexy, uncool thing. It's the swinging the ax at the tree every day. It's that consistent uh, action that you keep taking. And a lot of people try and avoid it because they think it's monotonous but what I've even found in my own business, uh, Alan, is that establishing ground early is going to be the part where you're going to put a lot of effort into play until you, you know, share the vision and you have people that come and support you in it. You start hiring people uh, or whether it's on a team too, like just getting your foundations down. This is where the strength really lies. Uh, one of the other things I noticed as well within high-performing athletes and even high-performing entrepreneurs because we have a lot of entrepreneurs that are listening right now that could even liken it and connect to, the, to what it's like to be a high-performance athlete and a high-performance high uh, entrepreneur. 
is that they are very present. So how do we step into more presence? I love that. And, you know, what I found too, that, you know, uh, having been in the basketball world for almost 20 years and then making the leap over to the corporate space for the last couple that, I mean, I can't assign an exact percentage to it, but it's probably upwards of 85, 90% of what works in sport will work in business. When we're talking strictly about principles and, and strategies. Uh, I mean, obviously I understand the difference between sport and business. Um, but, but high performance really transcends any area and it doesn't matter if you're trying to be an elite entrepreneur, an elite sales professional, an elite basketball player, or an elite soccer coach. These things are all, uh, there's just high crossover and high transfer. And, and you just hit on arguably the most important one, which is uh, living in the present moment. And, you know, I know as a 43-year-old father of three kids, a private business owner, a public speaker, and an author, that living in the present moment is the perfect example of basic versus easy because what it takes to live in the present moment is very basic, but it is without question the biggest challenge I face every single day. And, and I would imagine many of your listeners do as well uh, because it's so easy for us to get distracted by the past, you know, distracted by what happened yesterday or even distracted by what happened this morning. It's also easy for us to get anxious about the future and worried about tomorrow or worried about next week when everything we need to perform at our best is right now. It's right in the present moment. And, you know, there's, there's some steps that one can take to improve their ability to be mindful and to be present. And I think that's the best investment someone can make. You know, the, the short definition of it, uh, I've heard this attributed to Oprah Winfrey, and I've also heard it from Nick Saban, the, the brilliant college football coach uh, with Alabama, and they say to be where your feet are. That's the definition of being present. Be where your feet are, which means wherever your feet are, you make sure that's where your head and your heart are as well. Uh, but we live in a world now where people think multitasking is sexy, that multitasking uh, is required. I mean, how many times have you been with someone, Joel, and they're staring at their phone while you're with them? They're not present while they're with you. Their mind right. and their emotions, they're somewhere else. And, and you know unconsciously that whatever's on their phone is more important than you at that moment. And, you know, that's, that's not being present. And we're all guilty of that to some degree at, at many times throughout the day, but the goal is to lessen those occurrences, to be fully present, fully engaged. Um, and, and if you want to dive deeper in that, there's, there's kind of a three, three pillars of what it actually takes to live present. And these are some, some rather actionable things that, that folks can put into practice, but it's something I have to look in the mirror and remind myself of every day. Ooh, Alan, you gotta be careful there with that comment. <laughs> yeah, the, the comment about the like looking at the phone and then uh, making that more of a priority. I, I bet there's gonna be some listeners right now that are, that heard that and they're like, they're gonna go home and give their partner hell. <laughs> like, I heard on a podcast today that this means that I'm no longer priority. <laughs> no, it, it, it is, but it's amazing how our, our unconscious mind works. I mean, think about it. You know, uh, and, and one thing that's just so remarkable about you know about technology is, I mean, you and I are, are many oceans away right now, and we're having this amazing conversation. Uh, but if you and I were in person right now, if I was in Bali and I was sitting next to you and, and we were just having a chat intuitively there's a few things we would pick up on one if we were talking and the entire time i was staring at my phone and barely glancing up and and i'm and i'm answering you with short little answers and grunts you would intuitively know that that i'm not that interested in what you have to say 
Whereas if I put the phone face down and I'm making great eye contact with you and I have open body language and I'm listening with my eyes and my ears and, and when you say something, you know, when there's an appropriate break in the conversation, I kind of repeat it back in your words to make sure that I heard you correctly. Then you would know un intuitively and unconsciously you would go, wow, Alan cares about me. He, he values what I have to say. I'm clearly important to him. And just think about those two different messages that we send to other people and how important they are for creating human connection and for establishing trust and for building rapport and for building chemistry. You know, one of them is a glue. You know, when, when, when you show someone you care about them, that is a glue that, that binds a relationship and the other one simply erodes it. And once again, I'm not perfect. You know, I have my phone as often as a lot of people do, but I'm getting better about when it's time to set it down and invest my full attention into someone else, then I make sure that I'm doing that. And, and even right now, I mean, I'm not checking email while I'm having this conversation. I'm not folding laundry while I'm having this conversation. Uh, you and your listeners have my full undivided attention and my full presence in this moment because that's what's most important. And, and, and I think that's just a daily practice that all of us should get into. And it doesn't matter if you're talking about an intimate relationship with a spouse, a relationship with your child, or your leadership executive team at your business. You owe the people that you care about your full attention because that's the number one gift you can give a human being today is your attention in the present moment. It's more valuable than money. It's more valuable than anything else you could give another human being is your attention. Uh, because as you know, you know, time is, is finite. It's, it's the most precious resource we have because it's not promised. And, and, you know, a guy like you and your listeners, you can always make more money. You have tremendous skill sets and a lot of attributes. You could always make more money, but you can't get time back. And, and that's why giving people our time and investing in another's is, is one of the best things we can do to build solid relationships. Hey, I couldn't agree with you more. It's, uh, it's so true. And I think as even I've gotten older, I've noticed that even more. I've, I'm getting way more vigilant with my time. But the time that I do spend with people, I give them as much value as possible. And I like that you're saying basically, you being present is a present for someone else. It's such uh, a gift to give. I, I love that, man. I really love that. And thank you for sharing it. That, uh, We've already, we're already jumping into some incredible insight here. We've only just started. So, Alan, tell me, when you watch people like Kevin Durant, when you watch people like LeBron James, Chris Paul, what do you believe is the, the key things, like two to three things that you notice that they're doing that is separating them from the other players in the game? Because they get mentioned a lot. They've got incredible stats some of them are even arguably uh, the top players in NBA right now. What is it that separates them from the everyday player? Well, you know, funny enough, it's actually kind of a continuation of, of where we were, we're talking about with this, this living in the present moment. And in fact, with basketball players, we would, we would use the term play present. And I'll take it a little bit deeper because the three things that it takes to play present are also the th are three of the biggest separators that guys like that have. Uh, the first is they always focus on the next play uh, because that's the only play they can still have an effect on. They can't do anything about the play that just happened. So maybe they missed a shot. Uh, you know, maybe they turned the ball over. Uh, maybe they, they thought they got fouled, but the referee didn't call it. Well, whatever it was, it's over. You can't do 
anything to change it. You cannot rewind time and you cannot relive time. So they have a very quick, or I guess a short memory. Uh, I call it a whiteboard memory. If you write something on a whiteboard, then you quickly wipe it off. It's gone forever. They have that type of memory. So a guy like Kevin Durant can miss a wide open three-pointer and in a split second, he's wiped that from his memory and he's already sprinting back on defense so that he can be at his best. Uh, and the same thing is true when something good happens. You know, uh, LeBron James hits a huge shot. Well, he doesn't stand there and celebrate it. If there's still time on the clock, he has to immediately move to the next play and go to the next thing. And, you know, in the fast-paced world of business and entrepreneurship, it's the same thing. You know, you submit a proposal to a client and it doesn't go well. Move on to the next play. Because if you let a previous experience uh, affect, negatively affect a current performance, then you're only going to be mediocre at best. And if you take somebody like Stephen Curry, uh, who many people think is the best shooter in the world, arguably the best shooter of all time, one of the things that makes him so special is that he could miss seven shots in a row and he still thinks the eighth one is going in. Like there's no question in his mind <laughs> because he doesn't let the previous seven misses affect him. He's shooting that eighth one just like he made the first seven. And, you know, a guy like Steph could miss 30 shots in a row and he will beg for the ball when there's two seconds left and the game is tied because he always believes the next shot is going in. And, and that's, you know, I think that's incredibly important, you know, and once again, you can, you can extrapolate that down to anything. You know, if, if you and I are business partners and we have a, we have a disagreement in the morning, you know, you, you think we should zig and I think we should zag and we have a very heated debate about it. And we, you know, uh, thankfully we, we air our differences and we debate it in a very professional and respectful way, but we both see things very different. Well, once that conversation comes to a resolution or a conclusion, it's over. We need to move to the next play. We can't keep rehashing it. And, you know, if, if you decide to make a concession and we go with my idea for this, this business decision, and then a week later you start hanging it over my head or undermining the fact that we went with my decision, then you're not focused on the next play. And there's no way that we can perform at our highest level if we're not focused on what's coming next. And, you know, that's not an excuse for being sloppy. That's not an excuse for being lazy. That's not an excuse for a basketball player casually missing a shot and thinking it doesn't matter. No, these things are still incredibly important, but once they are in the past, you have to move on to the next play. Oh, I love that. It's like being present and then it's going next play. Then going back to being present and being next play, You're going back and forth in this dance between the two, right? Yeah, well, ultimately, yeah, and, and I love that. That's very insightful, the way that, that you brought that up. I mean, in theory, the next play is actually the present moment because, you know, that's what's so, so crazy about time is that it's, it's ever fleeting. It's continuous, that you can't, you know, you can't stop time and you can't pause time. So literally, the sentence that I'm speaking right now is over. It's done. And now I have yeah. to focus on the next word that's coming out of my mouth. So the present mm. is actually the next play that's coming because there's no lapse. It's not, hey, what's going to happen in the fourth quarter? That would be worried about the future. And it's not, hey, the, the dunk that I just missed because that's in the past. It's literally what's happening next. So focusing on the next play uh, is pillar number one. Uh, pillar number two that of living present, playing present, and what separates guys like LeBron, Kobe, and KD from everyone else is they focus on what they can control. It's called controlling the controllables. And there's really only two things that we have 100% control over 
100% of the time. And that's our own effort and our own attitude. And generally speaking, any time we spend worried about something outside of our own effort and our own attitude is usually not a very good investment of our time. Uh, we want to focus on what we can control, uh, not on the things that we can't. And once again, that's difficult to do because the vast majority of things that happen in the world are outside of our control. But we still control the effort that we put forth and we control our attitude, which in this case could be a reaction to something else that happens. And I've always found attitude to be a very interesting, or excuse me, I found effort to be a very interesting one um, because, and I would imagine even with your listeners, if I asked all of your listeners and we did a poll and say, you know, is working hard a choice? I'm pretty sure all of them would say yes. They'd nod their head or raise their hand. They know that when they put forth a good effort, it was because they chose to. But then what I find interesting is that means by default, not working hard is also a choice. And yet most people don't own that side of the coin. Uh, when you call somebody yeah. out or hold them accountable for not giving their best effort, that's usually when excuses come up. That's usually when someone says, well, I wasn't feeling good or I didn't get enough sleep or I was hungry or I was this, I was that. I mean, at the end of the day, your effort is always a choice. And yes, there'll be some days where you are tired and you are sick uh, and you're not feeling well, uh, but and your, your, your tank might only be 70% full, but you still have the choice to give 100% of your 70%. And, you know, if you're looking to be a high performer, you need to make the choice consistently to give your best effort in everything that you do. And, you know, that takes care of the, the effort side. And then on the attitude side, it just really comes down to your ability to react to the outside world and that there are going to be things that are coming at you every day. There's, there's challenges, there's adversity, you're going to go through failure. There's going to be all sorts of ups and downs and high performers try to take everything that happens to them and around them and use it in a way that serves them and moves them forward instead of a way that cripples them and moves them back. Even when something bad happens, they try to find the lesson or try to find the nugget that they can pull from that that's still going to make them better. You know, so you take a player like a Kobe Bryant, you know, if he loses a basketball game, uh, it's going to end up being a win in the future because he's going to study why he lost. He's going to tighten the screws and refocus the lens. He's going to course correct and make a few changes. And then whatever happened that time ain't going to happen to him again in the future because he has that attitude uh, of always using things in a way that serve him. So controlling the controllables is incredibly important. I love this. And I think that that's really when you start trusting yourself, right? You start reclaiming your power and knowing that you're the master of your destiny and not a slave to the environment and the other agendas around it. And, you know, I think that when I see a lot of these players that you mentioned, Kobe Bryant, LeBron James, Stephen Curry, they have this, like this, this force to be reckoned with confidence that they carry. What would you say would be a great way to increase your confidence? Cause I feel like this is such a big conversation that a lot of people feel like they they lack self-belief. They are low on self-esteem. Right, so, so how do we increase confidence? I believe the most effective way to increase confidence is through demonstrated performance. So you actually have to deserve confidence. It, it can't be this false bravado. Uh, it, you know, 
in my opinion, the jury's still out on this kind of fake it till you make it mindset. I think sometimes that can be a bridge to get you where you need to go. But true self-belief and true confidence comes from demonstrated performance. And demonstrated performance only comes from putting in the work and putting in the reps. I mean, the, the reason a guy like Kobe Bryant is confident is because he has put in millions of hours unseen hours you know when the cameras aren't rolling and the cheerleaders aren't dancing and 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 the the lights aren't on he's putting in work then to build his confidence to deserve the right to be confident on the court when the actual game starts so you know i, I think it, it comes back to putting in those reps i mean they'll always you know there's always going to be things that that can shake our confidence and rattle us a little bit. You know, we're fallible as human beings, uh, but generally speaking, if you've put in the work to the point where you absolutely believe with every ounce of your being that you deserve to be successful or you deserve to make this shot or you deserve to, to have this proposal accepted, uh, that's when, that's when real confidence, you know, starts to build. Yeah. I remember this uh, Kobe Bryant quote. He says, I can't relate to lazy people. We don't even speak the same language. I don't understand you and I don't want to understand you. I remember that quote. It just, it rings so true. Yeah. You know, it's, well, it's, it, it's like, he's just like got this guard around his mind where he's like, I'm not going to be lazy. I'm like, he's just so, he was so dead set on just being confident and putting in the effort and maintaining that attitude to win. Absolutely. Nick Saban, the, the coach at Alabama said something similar. He said, mediocre people don't like high performers and high performers don't like mediocre people. And it's true. I mean, if, if, you, if you are lazy and you want to do the bare minimum and you're just, you know, mailing it in and you're around a group of high performers, you're going to feel awful about yourself. You know, you're, you're going to be the outcast. You're the, the sore thumb sticking out. So you don't want to hang around high performers. And, and same thing, if you're, if you're driven, you're relentless, you're obsessed about getting better and everyone around you is, is lazy and mailing it in, you don't want to be around them either. So yeah, the, the whole concept of uh, you are the company you keep really comes out with that. And, and yeah, I can even fathom Kobe Bryant spending a few minutes uh, with anybody that's, that's not wired to at least want to improve. And then, you know, yeah. th just to finish our trilogy, the, the last, so we have fo focus on the next play, focus on what we can control. And then the third one is to focus on the process. And the process, the best way I can describe the process is, you know, any of your listeners right now, just picture a brick wall. And, and more times than not, when someone pictures a brick wall, you know, they don't picture any bricks missing. They don't picture any of them sticking out or diagonal. They picture a sound, sturdy brick wall. Well, that's the outcome. The process of building that brick wall is simply taking each brick individually and laying it with care and precision. It's taking one brick and setting it exactly where it needs to go, taking a breath, and then going and picking up another brick and setting it exactly where it needs to go. And if you stay focused just on the individual bricks and making sure that you lay each one with care and precision and you lay each one exactly where it's supposed to go, there's a good chance that the wall will just take care of itself. You don't even have to worry about the wall if you focus on laying the bricks. And that's, that's ultimately what it means to focus on the process. You know, we all are very outcome driven. Our society is outcome driven, you know, but, but we need to focus on the process of what it'll take to increase the likelihood uh, of the outcome that we want. And, and that's the key is there are no outcomes that are guaranteed. Uh, in fact, the only outcome that I know is guaranteed is death. 
I mean, no one gets out of this thing we call life alive. That's the only thing that I know for fact. Everything else. Yeah, death and taxes. Death de and taxes. Yeah, and you know what's <laughs> funny is every year somebody comes out that hasn't been paying their taxes. So even I think there's some people that have even figured out a way around that. But yes, you are 100% right. But, but outside of that, we're, we all need to be in the mindset of how can we increase the likelihood of getting the, the, the outcome that we want and it's by living in the process and you know perfect example i know before we started recording you know we were kind of exchanging our thoughts on on the book writing process and you know my book's out and, and you've got an awesome book that's coming out and the 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 success of your book will be heavily predicated on the process and from the the amount you've shared already i mean you have a great process intact i mean you already said your number one goal the first goal was to write the most meaningful and helpful book possible well that's a huge part of the process if you would have skipped over that part you know i mean that's that's just laying sloppy bricks that's like just taking bricks and just throwing them over there and hoping they land in a pile so you've yeah. got these this entire process from writing the book you know, to having the book finalized and edited and printed to then distributing the book to then marketing the book. I mean, all of these things will require a process and how successful your book is will be completely predicated on, you know, the process and the strategy and execution that you implement um, will be the determining factor. You know, it, it won't have anything to do with luck. It, it won't have anything to do with accident. Yes, you might catch a good break here and there, but it's always going to be a result of the process. Oh, yes. I love it. The process. And, and I think that some people try and shy away from it so much so because it requires so much effort. And this uncomfortable zone that so many people avoid is really where the, where the magic lies. And, and people are missing out on so much of stepping into their potential in fear of being judged, in fear of not being good enough, in fear of making mistakes. And I, I, I often say to a lot of my clients, like, you know, we got to look at where you're standing right now. Are you in destruction? Are you in stagnation? Or are you in creation? And I just love the differentiators that you threw in there about like the process and then uh, being present with the moment and then controlling the controllables. What that is, you're taking your power back and moving to a place of creation. It's like, I know that this is going on around me, but what can I create now? What could my next move be that will move me in a place where there's progress and not just movement, but progress? So I, I love this, Alan. This is, this is really great advice. So there's a piece in your book that I like too uh, where you state it's so important to know thyself. Uh, and you use like an example of Eminem uh, in there too. I'd love for you to share that piece because I think it's really important. For sure. And I'm a huge Eminem fan. Not, even, not, not so much just for uh, his content, but for his creativeness, his respect for the process. You know, the, the guy's been, whether you like his work or not, I mean, he's a, he's a lyrical genius, he's a wordsmith, and he's someone that, that stuck to the process well before he was famous. And then once he started getting some notoriety, he dived even deeper into that process to continue to be, you know, what many people think is one of the top MCs of all time. But yeah, Eight Mile is one of my favorite movies. And, you know, uh, sorry if it's a spoiler alert, because I know it's been out for over a decade, but, you know, at the end where he's doing this rap battle and he decides that, for his side of the battle, instead of making fun of the other guy, he's going to make fun of himself and expose all of his insecurities and all of his weaknesses. Because once he does that, then the other guy won't have anything to say about him. And, you know, I think that's kind of a, a way to approach this concept of self-awareness. And, and I believe heavily self-awareness is incredibly important for whatever it is that we're looking for in life, whether it's 
it's happiness and fulfillment uh, or it's success and significance that we have to know ourselves. We have to know what we're good at, but what we're not so good at, what we're passionate about, what we're, we, we kind of loathe. You know, what are our fears? What are our insecurities? What are our dreams? What is our purpose? And, and kind of figuring all of this stuff out because it makes up who we are. And most people only want to spend time on the good stuff, you know, the things they like, the things they're good at. But you have to know both. Again, if we keep comparing it to the game of basketball, you know, a player like Kobe Bryant, he has to know where his weaknesses are. He has to know where he could potentially get exposed, you know, by an offensive player that he's guarding. He has to know those things uh, because it will just, it'll make him that much more dangerous as a player. And then of course you have, you know, once you figure out kind of your weaknesses and your fears and your insecurities, depending on whether we're talking about sport or business, then you have to make a decision. Is this an applicable weakness that I need to address and improve because it's going to limit my ability to be successful? Or is it something I can completely disregard and put all of my focus into my strengths and making my strengths even stronger? You know, I'm a big believer, especially for those in the entrepreneurial world, uh, in the business world, that people spend too much time worrying about their weaknesses. I think you need to know them and you need to identify them so you don't step on those landmines, but you don't need to spend much time worrying about them. Focus on what you do really well and see if you can make that elite and make that world-class, you know? I mean, Shaquille O'Neal's one of the most dominant centers we've ever seen in the NBA. Well, he wasn't a very good ball handler. Well, who cares? He didn't need to handle the ball. That wasn't really his role. So he didn't need to spend a lot of time to try and go from a bad ball handler to a mediocre ball handler. Instead, he spent his time on the things that, that made him elite. So uh, I think sometimes we yeah, we put too much focus on the things we don't do well and should be spending a lot more time and energy and focus on the things that we can do well and make those things even more elite. Yes, I like the, the differentiation between like noticing that you have those weaknesses there but not worrying about them and then playing your position like Shaquille O'Neal did. It's, that's a, such a great breakdown. I, I also know like in your book, you mentioned uh, the fogged up mirror where there's this contradiction at work when we talk about self-awareness, right? That like so many people, what they do is they, they think that they know themselves, but in actual fact, they don't really know themselves that well. And I feel like even for me, I can say from my personal experience, just when I thought that I knew myself, more has been unfolded. Uh, but it usually yeah. is unfolded like in relationships. It's unfolded when, you know, my back is against the wall. It's unfolded when I come across someone that, you know, that, comes in and goes, wait a minute, there's a better way to do these things. It's, like, it's, it's moments of growth. And, and I feel like there's this beauty in the struggle. And the beauty is if there's any gift that we get is to get to know ourselves even more so that we can then really tap into our power and, and strengths and move through the world and not leaning so much in our weaknesses, but moving with, with power and strength in what we know we're best at. And I, and I love your piece in the book around the fogged up mirror that we're just staring so often in a fogged up mirror. Yeah. Oh, very well said. I, I love the way that you, that you brought that up because, you know, as human beings, we don't know what we don't know and, and we don't know our blind spots. That's why they're blind spots. But with self-awareness, we can at least have the humility to know, hey, I have some blind spots. I don't know what they are at the moment, but I know that I have them. You know, we talk about a basketball player, a basketball player that takes a bad shot. That's not that big of a deal. That's okay. 
It's the player that takes a bad shot that doesn't know it was a bad shot. That's the one that's dangerous because now they're going to repeat that behavior. So uh, it, it's funny because it sounds kind of contradictory, but one of the ways to heighten our own self-awareness is to ask others. But we need to ask the people that know us the best. This is not something you would go up and just ask some random stranger. This needs to be the people that you know the best or, you know, which, which was certainly my case, uh, was actually a professional. I mean, I was going through some counseling and some therapy. Uh, uh, I was going through a divorce and a, a trained professional was able to kind of help me heighten my self-awareness because she got me to see things that I couldn't see. Because part of the problem can be, as you just said so perfectly, um, we might not be very accurate in our evaluation of ourselves. And, and I'll use myself as an example. You know, I used to think I was a really good listener. I mean, if you would have asked me 10 years ago, Alan, are you a good listener? I would have said yes. And I would have actually believed it because I thought that I was. Uh, but then as I, I started to, to get a little closer and ask some insightful questions of my inner circle and, and this, this therapist and counselor that was working with me basically brought to the fact uh, that I was not a very good active listener, that I was very judgmental, that, that most of the time while you were talking, Joel, I wasn't even listening to you. I was just formulating my own response so that I could talk. And, you know, I didn't realize that. But, but they brought that to light, and I realized I wasn't a good listener. So it's been something that I've consciously really tried to work on you know, over the last several years. Uh, but that was a perfect example of my self-awareness just was not very accurate. I mean, I thought I was a good listener. I thought I was self-aware, and I wasn't. So one of the things we all need to do, and as you just mentioned, through relationships and, and through these different connections, we need to provide a safe environment where the people closest to us feel that they can be you know, honest and transparent and, and hold us accountable and give us the truth, and we're going to be willing to accept that. And it, it doesn't mean we like what they say, uh, but we're going to be open to it because if you're not open to someone sharing some of your blind spots or sharing what you don't know, if you're not coachable, then once again, you've put a very low ceiling uh, on you – know, on your potential, on what you're capable of doing. And, you know, especially a skill as important as listening, everything in my life has gotten better as I've become a better listener. I mean, from my relationships to my ability to serve clients, I mean, everything has gotten better. So, I mean, that was a major thorn in my paw and I didn't even know that I had it. So I'm, I'm thankful I was at least open enough to, to receive that from the people that cared enough about me to share it. Mm, I love that. I absolutely love that. That is something you've noticed about yourself and, and also for you to share this vulnerably too. You know, we could, we could get on this podcast and we could say how amazing you are as a speaker and a coach and an author and everything, but I love that you went there because this is relatable. You know, this is what we all go through. We all have our weaknesses. And uh, my biggest thing too is like I've noticed when I open up and I share my shortcomings and my experiences is that people can connect even more. And then when we have that connection, now we have a real conversation that actually shifts Absolutely. rather than being spoken to you're, you're speaking with. Uh -huh. I love that distinction. And, you know, think about it, whether, whether you're a coach or a player or you're an entrepreneur or an executive, as we started the conversation with, everything comes down to relationships, which is why being present is so important because you build relationships. But let's just look at it from a business standpoint. Uh, 
in a business, there are two relationships that will determine the success and the sustainability of your business. And it doesn't matter uh, if you're a, a one person business. It doesn't matter if you have a fortune 500 business. It doesn't matter if you sell products or you sell services, the relationship that you have with those that you serve. So your clients and your customers will determine how successful you are. And then your, your relationship with those on your team, your colleagues and your coworkers. And even for any solopreneurs out there that run their own business, you're not doing it all yourself. I guarantee that you have some other people that are a part of your team. They might be contractors. I mean, you might have an accountant that does your taxes. You might have a copywriter that helps you with some social posts. Uh, you might have a, you know, an editor that's helping you with your book. Even if you're in business for yourself, you still have some other people that are going to help you get there. And your relationship with your colleagues and your coworkers and your relationship with your customers and your clients, those two relationships dictate the success of your business and the sustainability of your business. So we need to do everything in our power to improve both of those relationships. And you just hit on probably the biggest key, which is allowing ourselves to be vulnerable and to establish trust because without trust, you don't have any relationship. And, you know, vulnerability is an interesting one. It doesn't mean that you need to share something private from your personal life openly with customers and clients. You know, that's not, that's not necessarily the definition of vulnerability. It just means that you're willing to expose yourself, you know, uh, to, to not knowing what the outcome could be, that you're finding ways to make these things relatable and create these direct connections. And, you know, I, I hope your listeners know that, that I'm just like them. I have the same struggles that they have. You know, I'm not a perfect parent. I'm not a perfect speaker. I'm not a perfect author. I'm not a perfect business owner. You know, I have the same troubles they have. If they're having trouble staying present, it's okay. I do too. If they have trouble not looking at their phone, don't worry. I do too. We're all in this together. Uh, where I just think that, that I'm very thankful. I'm just at a point now in my life where I have a much higher sense of self-awareness in these areas. So now that I, I know what my problem areas are, I know what my challenges are, but I also know what things I'm really good at and I can stay in those strength zones. Uh, but I have a long list of things that I'm not good at at all, uh, but thankfully I've found ways to either delegate or mitigate those things so they don't really have any impact on my performance. But, but yeah, being vulnerable and, and being open and establishing trust and giving people our our present in the moment, that's the key to relationships. And relationships are the key to, to performance and success in any area of our life. Yes, I absolutely believe that. Yes, I love this, Alan. I, what I was going to ask you, Alan, is if the listeners were to do an audit on their life, because you know we're in this new year of 2019, right? And to really kickstart the year, if we were to do an audit and have a look at a few areas of their life and start to create some change there, what would those areas be that you would say we should focus on? Well, the first one I believe is, is kind of, it's our energy. I mean, it's, it's time and energy. Time and energy are the, the two biggest resources that we need to perform at a high level. Uh, as we've already established, you know, time is an interesting one because it's finite. And as we all get older, I mean, as I said, I'm, I'm, almost 43, you know, it really starts to shift into perspective that, that time is not going to go on forever, that, that each of these days and weeks and months and years are incredibly precious. And I want to be very, you know, I want to make sure that I use them judiciously um, and, and use them for things that, again, are bringing me happiness and fulfillment and moving me forward. Uh, because once the sand runs out in my hourglass, then it's over. 
So I want to make sure that I'm guarding and protecting my time and using it for, for my meaningful work and my purpose and not allowing others to suck it and drain it from me. Uh, but then the next is energy. You know, in order to perform at a high level, you have to have high energy. Now, that doesn't mean you have to be loud. That doesn't mean you have to be outspoken. That doesn't mean you have to be a Dallas Cowboys cheerleader. You just need the energy to pour into whatever it is that you're trying to perform at a high level for. And in order to do that, you have to make sure that your own bucket is full. You have to make sure that your own battery uh, is fully charged and because you can't pour anything out of an empty bucket. So you can't serve your client, you know, your clients and your customers if, if your bucket is empty. You, know, you can't pour into your colleagues and your coworkers if your bucket is empty. So the very first step to performance and the very first step to leadership and being a great teammate is pouring into yourself first. So one of the audits I recommend that people do is make a list of all of the things, and I'm, I'm saying things in air quotes on an audio podcast, but make a list of the things that recharge you mentally, physically, and emotionally. The things that, that gas you up. You know, it could be taking a yoga class or a spin class. Uh, it could be going for a jog with your dog. Uh, it could be, you know, listening to classical music. It could be meditating. It could be, you know, going and reading at a coffee shop. Whatever it is, but find the things that refill your own bucket and make a list of those things. And that's part one of the audit. And then part two is take a look at what your normal daily routine looks like, especially the bookends of the day, the morning and the evening routine. You know, how do you spend the first 90 minutes every day when you wake up? And how do you spend the last 90 minutes every day before you go to bed? And, and then you need to compare those two sets of notes. Because if you're not making the time to integrate the things that fill your bucket into your morning and evening routine on a consistent basis, then you're not performing at the level that you're capable of because there's no way that you're going to have the energy to do that. Not sustainable. You know, we can all have energy really short term. You know, you can put your head down and, and, and write for your book for a month straight. Uh, but if you're not constantly replenishing yourself and, and rejuvenating yourself, there's no way you're going to see that thing all the way to the end, all the way through it being published and distributed and marketed and promoted. So we have to take care of ourselves first. And that sounds tricky to some people because some people in, internalize that as being selfish. That if you take time out of your day to do something for yourself, that that's selfish and it's not, not if it's done um, with, with the mind of serving others. You know, if LeBron James shows up to the Lakers practice tomorrow and he hasn't slept and he hasn't eaten and he hasn't done his stretches, that is an act of selfishness because he didn't fill his bucket and his teammates, they need his bucket to be filled in order for him to raise the level and, and perform to the level he's capable of. So I think that'd be the, the number one thing I would tell folks, whether they're players and coaches or they're entrepreneurs and executives, is make the time every day to fill your own bucket because that way you'll have the energy to perform at your best and you'll be able to get others to do the same. Alan, great, great shares. Thank you so much. If you're listening right now, rewind back if you need to and take note, okay? Write it down and make that your focus as you're moving into this new year. Alan, thank you so much, mate. This was such a great conversation and uh, you shared so many pointers. I'm sure we're going to get a lot of uh, replays on the, on the episode uh, for people taking note on this. So thank you so much. I appreciate you. Absolutely. My pleasure. Thank you, Joel. How do we find you online, Alan? Well, anyone that's interested in the book can go to raiseyourgamebook.com. Uh, anyone that's interested in the other stuff I've got cooking, uh, just go to allensteinjr.com. 
Uh, and I'm at Alan Stein Jr. on Instagram and the other social handles and, and love engaging, uh, love, you know, just, just talking shop. So anyone that's listening, uh, please drop me a line and, and let's start some talk. Love it, Alan. And Alan, we end every interview with this last question. And the last question is, if you were to deliver your last 30-second speech to the world, what would that last 30 seconds sound like? Boy, I'd have to wipe away the tears first. Boy, that would suck if I only had 30 seconds. But what I would say <laughs> is make good decisions. That's the key to life is make good decisions. If you make good decisions, you'll have a good life. If you make great decisions, you'll have a great life. But as we also know, if you make poor decisions, you'll have a pretty miserable life. So uh, do the best you can to make good decisions.